grew up in North Wales, and this is a picture of me and my, and my family, I can't see it that well, but um, in the village that I grew up in. And Katerina, Natalia and Daniel aren't here today, they are in Slovakia, and um, I'll be joining them later in August But they say hello. Uh, I really appreciate the welcome, thanks Barry. Um, and that, that question about why we help others, and about how God has put Thing, um, God has placed it in our hearts to be helpful to others. We'll, we'll pick up on it as well. How many of us have had difficult and testing times in our lives? Ever? Okay. How many of us maybe can get a nod and going through difficult and testing times now? Okay. I can see some. I can see some nodding, some smiling, and even some frowns. Okay. But uh, so it, life is difficult, and as it even says on your website, I believe. So. And personally, it can be that. And then as a country, let's face it, at the moment, we're facing testing times. And soon, I predict, to become more testing. But uh, hopefully not. Um, and then, uh, as a human race, we face a lot of challenges. We live in a fallen world. Terrorism, financial crisis, political crisis, Brexit, climate crisis. I don't know about you, but at times, I find it overwhelming. And... and need to pray and I just do, and and it helps actually being able to pray to God and find hope in Christ and as the body of Christ we can bring hope and bear witness to the the ultimate hope which we'll be talking about today about today which is a new heaven and a new earth let's pray <coughs> heavenly father we praise you because you are worthy of praise yeah. you spoke whole universe into existence. You, and yet you know the number of hairs on our heads. You made everything through your son. You sent him into this fallen world to bear our sins in his body so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness so that we can become part of the body of Christ, the church. Father, we praise you because of your character that you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Father, we thank you that you have made us in your image. And we pray that the message this morning will help us all as we strive to have and to bring hope. Amen. Okay, if you don't know, I work for the charity Hope Worldwide and um, have done so now for nearly five years, which is well, quite amazing. It's been gone so fast. Well, and I've learned a lot in that time, and, and I want to share some of it with you today. In the UK, we have two projects, ODAT, which helps men break free from addiction, and Two Step, which house people who are currently experiencing homelessness to find somewhere to live. And our strapline, as you can see there, is bringing hope and changing lives. And as Barry alluded to in the welcome, that's not necessarily doing things for people, although sometimes that is done. It's much more about empowering people to make positive changes for themselves. And part of that is the way that we treat them, that we don't paternalise to do things for people, but we help them to do things for themselves. So why is hope important? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, in 1 Corinthians 13. And a life of faith has no meaning. If there's no God, we're just a bunch of random chemicals, mm. um, atoms, and all meanings, actually, an illusion. 
A life without love, I'm sure we'd agree, isn't, isn't worth living. We, we're made for relationships by a relational God, and to love and to be loved, and that's what gives our life meaning. And hope plays a central role in that. You can see it's almost like a heartbeat in that, that it helps if, if we don't have hope, then it's pretty hard to have faith, and it's hard to love if we don't have hope for the future. Yeah. And hope, because hope looks forward, hope anticipates good that is coming, and it keeps us secure in the present. And according to research, hope is a determining factor in overcoming poverty and illness. And, and so we think, what is specifically, what is the Christian hope? And what effect should that hope have in the world? And how do Jesus and the church model all of this? And this is particularly relevant, not so much when life's going well, but when you have difficult times, then it's good if you've got answers to these questions. Okay? In 2015, this was a picture of me um, with my daughter. This is fairly shortly after I'd been diagnosed with leukemia and having a course of chemotherapy. When I was diagnosed on the first night, I remember lying in, in my hospital bed at 2 a.m., the first night after my diagnosis, and that is a very lonely place to be. Everyone else is asleep and you've just been diagnosed with a potentially fatal disease. Um, praying to God with tears, because I, I really didn't want to die. Um, I didn't want to leave my wife behind. I didn't want to leave my two-year-old child behind. And an unborn baby. And uh, as I prayed, though, I was comforted that I have an eternal hope, regardless of what happens. And that gave meaning to the present, and it gave meaning to that suffering, that I could grow through that suffering. That somehow, beyond my understanding, God could work through that suffering and pain, regardless of how it seemed at the time. I thank God that I'm in full remission now and everything looks fine, but yes. there'll be further trials down the road, yeah. I'm sure. Now, one of the things I learned in hospital through reading a book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by Tim Keller, mm -hmm. talks about walking through suffering. We don't like suffering, particularly in the Western world. In Psalm 23, verse 4, David said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I was comforted in hospital by, by rainbows. I had one of the best views in the hospital, 16th floor. And on this day, you can see here that there's actually a double rainbow in the sky. And that oh, happened yeah. Oh, yeah. when six people came to visit me at the same time, all really good friends. And we had this amazingly deep, the most deep spiritual conversation I've ever had in my entire life. And I realized actually that everyone else had been, they have come to see me in suffering, everyone else had been through suffering at different times, and it started off all about me, but by the end, by the end it was about all of us and what we'd learned through it, and it was, it was, it was an incredible time. Mm. And I'm coming to the understanding that the painful times are part of life, and they have to be walked through, and that takes time. We can't run around them, we can't try to deny them that they don't exist, we can't just escape from them. Instead, we've got to draw strength from God, if we ask him, and those who walk with us, and as a result, we can grow in character through suffering, and then can give hope to others. And um, I've, I've blogged about all this at the time, and um, you can, you're welcome to go and, and read that. So I want to say to you, is if you're going through a difficult time at the moment, there is hope. God is with you if you are with him. That doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but there is hope. Okay? So I'd like us to go to the beginning of the Bible to try and put things in context. So if you could go, please, to Genesis chapter 1. I'd love to go from 1 to 25, but don't have time. So we're going to start. I did teach physics for 10 years, and I would love to do for all the parallel. I haven't got time. We're going to start off in um, verse 26. Okay, and the title is Bringing Hope in Testing Times. What is our hope? There are three points I'm going to go through. Um, 
hope from our past, hope for the future, and hope in the present. This first point is going to be a bit longer, but I, um, I promise to finish by about 10 to, by 10 to, so. Okay, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. We've obeyed that command. Mm. Well done, everyone. <laughs> fill, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. What I love about this, the original creation was very good, and also that mankind was made in the image of God, which explains what Barry was talking about in the welcome about, that we have this part in us that wants to give to others, because God ultimately is a giver. And it's significant being made in the image of God. That doesn't mean that we literally look like God. It means that we are made in the spiritual image of God. And that's significant because that means that we have dignity because of who we're made like. And it also means that we have responsibility to rule, according to this passage, on his behalf. Now, to help us understand that, in the, in the world in which Genesis was written, the significance of the image can be seen in the practice of kings setting up images of themselves, like this statue of an Assyrian king, 9th century BC, in places where their authority had reached. So if they conquered a land, then they would put their image there, so everyone was clear, I'm in charge here, ultimately. Okay? I've experienced this myself. I worked as a teacher, I went to Tanzania to set up a school partnership in Tanzania, and every single government office or local office I went to, with the administration, there was always a picture of the president. This is a picture of President Kigwete, and it was always there. And it made it very clear that this person is representing the president, and they have authority. And it also made it clear that ultimately, the president was the authority, and if this person didn't do their job properly, they might be in trouble. Okay? And so, and that's what it means for us to be made in the image of God. We have a responsibility. We've been given some authority, and also some accountability as well. And so that gives us the capacity to act as God's representatives, and the capacity to be and to act like God. And so we, like God, can think through things. We are self-aware. We are spiritual. This is part of what it is to be human. We're not just creatures of instinct, that we can be like God and have attributes like faith and love and wisdom. And in fact, that being made in the image of God is the foundation for human morality. Because in the ancient world, People were slaves to the gods with no dignity other than that which came from the knowledge that the gods could not get along without humans to meet their needs. So this is the teaching of the Bible. Human dignity comes from being made, created in the image of God. And God creates with people in mind. Now at the time that the, the Bible was written down, pagan polytheism that culture, said the humans were created as slaves for the needs of the gods. Very, very different. And that's the whole purpose of Genesis 1, actually, is all about, it's not, you're not to worship these things, the sun and the moon, 
you're made to, to worship God and you're made in the image of God, not a slave for the gods. And that's huge, massive difference. Now, what many people believe today, and it's actually a dangerous belief, postmodernism, well, and naturalism, actually, is that humans are the product of random chance, an accident of nature. Now, what's so bad about that? Well, what then is the basis for human morality? If at the end of the day, we're just a freak of nature, what, how, what value do human beings have? Yeah. Yeah. Now, if things are just a matter of opinion, it's a problem in terms of what's right and what's wrong. And why is that? Well, because then those in power can set the rules according to what they want. And if you don't like it, well, tough. That's your opinion. I'm in charge and I set the rules. Now, being made in the image of God, that gives human beings a dignity and it, trust in, it entrusts us with a responsibility and it means that we have the capacity to imitate our creator. Now, in our work, how many of us have targets where we work? Key performance indicators, development targets, goals, objectives, anything like that, okay? I'm seeing a bit of nodding, okay? Now, we have that a bit. Well, we have that quite a bit, actually, at Hope Worldwide. Even though we're a charity, we do work, we do get some funding from local authorities and trusts, and so we are accountable. We have goals, we have targets, we have monitoring meetings. Now, they're helpful to measure our progress and to deal with issues that arise. However, I passionately believe that if we treat people respectfully and do what is right, as, as a, and have a good culture as an organisation, that the targets pretty much take care of themselves, and they do. Now, to help us do that, we at Hope foster a Christ-centred culture. We have a time every morning where a different member of the team reads a short scripture and shares about how it applies to their life and their work and talks basically about how they're doing. And that's really helpful because it helps us build a, a closeness, a community, and a strong culture, and it reminds us to treat everyone else coming into our service with dignity, rather because sometimes people, as Barry said, can be ungrateful and, uh, and it can be tempting to be short with them, to, to tell them, give them a piece of your mind back. And obviously, that's not the right thing to do, okay? And so it helps us to have these times to kind of process how we're all doing and hold us to a higher standard and remind us that the people we are serving, even though they might appear like it sometimes, are made in the image of God and therefore they have value and they be treated with respect because of what they are and who they are, made in the image of God. Okay. Now, we, and so my, my colleague, Margreta, for example, she says the most important aspect of her work is making, cu almost, is, is making cups of tea and coffee. Now, that sounds bizarre, but if someone comes into our service, the fact that you take the time to make them a drink and to say hello, that sets the whole tone for the relationship and the way you work together, and that helps you work much more effectively to help them, rather than just giving them their rights. We live in a culture of rights where people demand what they're entitled to, equality, tolerance. And it's good that we have rights, but if we have pe treat people with dignity, they, we don't give them what they deserve because of, of who they are. So as Christians, the fact that we're followers of Christ means that we strive in the power of the Holy Spirit and with the help of one another to imitate Jesus Christ, who is the, the image of God. Now, maybe you're looking into what is it like to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ. And being a disciple of Christ is therefore is much more than following a set of practices that we live by. Reading the Bible every day, praying every day. Now those are good things, but that's not what following Jesus is about. Because following Jesus is about knowing him and becoming like him. And he is the image of God, and we'll talk about that later. 
So of course we're going to read the Bible to learn about him, and, and of course we're going to pray to get power from the Spirit and, and to, to deal with our own issues and, and to put our requests before God, and of course we're going to build relationships with others to help us to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, but it's more than those things, okay? And, um, and so it also means that we're aware of the responsibility to treat others with dignity, because they're made in the image of God, as I've said. Now imagine, with all the culture wars going on at the moment, wouldn't it make a huge difference if people treated one another with dignity and respect, even if they disagreed with them? And we play an important role as Christians in modelling how to do that to the world, because people seem to have forgotten. And that we play an important role as salt and light in this world as ambassadors of Christ. Now, I go to quite a lot of conferences with my work and with homelessness at home, and I learn a lot. There's a lot of fantastic work being done out there that we, we learn a lot from. Sometimes, though, I do hear things, and I think, as a Christian, I, I think I should say something about this, or I should question it, or I should put a Christian point of view, and I should speak up. Now, and I have this, should I do this? It might not go down that well, they might think I'm a bit odd. Um, and I've had this choice, do I stay silent, or do I have take courage, speak up, and face potential conflict? Maybe you've been in that kind of situation in your work, or in your life, with your neighbours. Um, so we're not following Jesus, as some might say, for health and wealth, but to represent him in this foreign world, in this fallen world. And that's what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. And so I'm just thinking about this. Imagine if I go along to a meeting and I have Rob Payne Homeless Services. But also in my mind, I've got Rob Payne Homeless Services, Hope Worldwide, two-step. But in brackets, ambassador of Christ. Okay? Because that's my identity. Okay? So therefore, if something happens that Jesus is interested in, good or not so good, then me, as Christ's ambassador, then, well, if I don't say anything, who else will? Okay? Because we're following and representing Jesus, Jesus who's full of grace and truth, who broke humanistic traditions who, and confronted religious hypocrites, who fed crowds of people and often withdrew to lonely places and prayed, who healed the sick and comforted the downcast, who raised the dead to life and died that we might live. And so we all come across people in need, like, like Barry was talking about, and, and Jesus said, what you do for the least of these, you did for me. So we are called to rule, as a human race, to rule the world on behalf of God. We're supposed to be stewards of his creation. How do you think we're doing with that as a human race at the moment? Kind of, yeah, you know, it's one of those. Exactly. Um, and it's overwhelming. Of course, one person can't, well, one person can change the world. But we, it, it's overwhelming sometimes. But we can all play our part. I like the phrase, you can either be part of the problem or part of the solution. So as Christians, we can model being good stewards of God's creation. At the Hope Office, we've switched over to renewable energy. We're experimenting with recycled paper, and um, we've reduced our plastic use considerably, which is good. Um, and um, as individuals, you know, marketers want us to get a new car every three years, a new phone every two years, new clothes every week, and indulge ourselves every day. And not to think about the consequences for our planet and those less fortunate than I don't believe that that's how Jesus wants us to live. I don't think God wants us to live that way. Through the prophet Isaiah, God says, is this not, the, in Isaiah 58, verse 6, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them. And in verse 10, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. 
we, as Jesus said, we've got to guard against the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things. I, I like new, shiny stuff. I've mean, got a new laptop, but hopefully, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it's great. But I can, I, mean, I, can, I can make do with my old car. I can make do with my old phone. I can make do with my charity shop shirt. I can save money. I can use less of the world's resources, and I can give more to those, therefore, who need things more than I do. And we get that reward of having done good, as Barry talked about. And I'm inspired to hear how you here have been serving in, in your community. I was really moved hearing about how you collected food for refugee families in, in the school here, and the impact it had on the staff at the school, because you're acting as ambassadors of Christ. You're, you're bearing witness to the image of God as you do that. And you're helping people made in the image of God, and you're helping them understand that they have value, that somebody cares, and that's huge. That's absolutely massive. Okay, we're going to carry on in Genesis 2. I'm just, I haven't got time to go through it all, but we're going to think about, um, in Genesis 2, I'm just going to read in verse 16, it says, And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, I've lost it. Where is it? You'll certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. God makes woman, and Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So it was all going well, and what happens next? Okay, I think most of us know that the, the serpent um, causes them to question God. They both ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together. They made coverings for themselves. They hid from God. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then it says in verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And in verse 11 he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. What does this tell us? Oh, and the joke is, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> okay, so what does this tell us? It tells us that the tendency to blame others for our failings has been around a very long time. That's one of the things it tells me. And it also tells us that disobedience has consequences, and we can read further in the account in Genesis 3. So pain and difficulty in life, they were banished from the garden and had to work outside it. Relational conflicts, conflict between men and women, um, between human beings generally, and the rest of the Bible is about God's plan to redeem his people from the consequences of this disobedience, and his ultimate plan to restore what was lost through his son, who is the image of God. Okay, so our first point has been hope from the past. When we realise that we are made in the image of God, that we have dignity and responsibility, we can see what people can become and treat them accordingly. I want to ask, what difference does it make knowing that we are all made in the image of God? What, what difference does that make in your life? I just want to give you a few seconds to think about that. I'm going to have a drink. And, uh, and then carry on. Okay, we continue. So, I find it helpful to think about the story of God. 
big story. What's the big picture? I'm, I'm definitely a big picture kind of person. So creation, we've talked about that. God made the world. The fall, we've just talked about that, eating the fruit in the, in the garden, being banished from the garden. And then Act 3, which we'll talk about later, is redemption. So Jesus dying for our sins on the cross, and then being resurrected, okay, and showing us that's what's going to happen to us one day. And then the final act in the drama, the final chapter in the story, is new creation. You can't see it there, but it says new and improved. Okay, we'll get back to that. So creation for redemption. Jesus lived this out at the, at the end in terms of showing us what's going to happen here to all of us. He died. He went to be with God in, in the spiritual realm for some time. And then he was physically resurrected from the dead. And that prom- that's the promise for us all. He was the first fruits of that. Now, it's really important the idea we have of our hope for the future. And if you want some recommended summer reading, then um, here's just a map of where we are. But uh, Hope for the Future, this is an excellent book that's really helped me and has significantly influenced my thinking. I'm Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright, by Tom Wright. And uh, I want to ask, how many of us grew up with this idea of heaven? Our eternal hope, clouds, harps, and uh, kind of gold and Jesus shining. I'm seeing some nodding. So we kind of got that. That was our our idea. And this is actually taken from my daughter's one of my daughter's Bibles. Okay, and it says here you can't read it, but it says one day Jesus would come back to take his children to heaven to live with him forever. Okay. Now, a question. Is that what the Bible actually teaches? When you look into it, that idea is actually more in line with Greek philosophy. The Bible teaches that at the renewal of all things, heaven comes down rather than people going up. Okay, and this is actually really important. Okay, so Isaiah, oh, in 2 Peter it says, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And, oh, here it is, it's come out differently on this one, but it says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth, in Isaiah 65, 17. And in Revelation 21, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Okay. So, oh, there we are. Good. I was getting worried there. So, you can search a Bible, Bible project, by the way, New Heaven and New Earth. It's a fantastic video about a lot of this. So, we have this world... We have the age to come, and we're kind of in the last days, the foretaste of it, of what's going to happen. So Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the new city, the holy city, sorry, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And in verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So in the Garden of Eden, God was in communion with mankind. And our hope, therefore, is the restoration of that which has 
been lost. And N.T. Wright in his book puts it this way, that the, the, the new, the grace of the new heaven and the new earth is coming down, down from heaven, the new Jerusalem coming down. It is the final answer to the Lord's prayer that God's kingdom will come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is the final fulfilment of the promises of Genesis 1 that the creation of male and female would together reflect God's image into the world. But Revelation 22, and the title in, um, in my Bible, NIV, is Eden Restored. It says, Revelation 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the, tree, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. That we who are made in the image of God, we will see him who is the image of God. And we have that hope for the future. And that hope for the future is, is the basis of hope for the present. As we follow the example of Jesus, as we call people to follow him, we give hope for a better future for this world. The crowds were interested in Jesus because of what he was doing. He was healing the sick and helping and making a difference. And, and because of what and how he was preaching. So we are made in heaven and a new earth. Okay. And that means, and that's why, caring for the poor, the sick, the lonely, refugees, hungry, and the homeless, it's not something extra we add to the gospel. To give people hope in this life, it's not a distraction from the task of mission and evangelism in the present. It's an essential part of it, because we're showing people what the eternal hope is when all those, all the, all those difficult and trials of life have gone. And so, our final point, therefore is hope in the present. So hope from the past, hope for the future, hope in the present. So in Colossians 1, verse 15, it says this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile him to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. Okay, so it says the Son is the image of the invisible God. The Son and then the firstborn over all creation. The Greek word for image is, I probably don't pronounce it quite right, but, but acorn, which, which expresses the idea that the nature and being of God are perfectly revealed in Jesus. It also says all things, that all things were created. Okay? There was a heresy at that time that Jesus was only one of many spirit beings who bridged the space between God and man. And Paul in Colossians saying, no, that um, Jesus, 
Jesus created through him all things were created, even those spirit beings themselves. In our day, the issue is that people doubt that Jesus was or is a spiritual being at all, and question if there is even a God. And I could spend hours and hours going into evidences to refute all of that, but I don't have time. What I want to do is to show you a couple of images, which I really like, as I was looking at. Um, and interesting, we talked about visible and invisible. I don't know if anyone's got any like to take a stab at what these are images of. Uh, this one here, yes? Correct, okay. Start to pretend, well done, okay. Very good. Um, it's actually the cat's eye nebula, okay. So that's an ex what was an explode, basically an exploding star, shut off all its outer layers, um, and uh, incredibly beautiful. 0.2 light years across, very big, but still invisible to the naked eye. Uh, and the one on the right, any idea what that is? Simon? It is correct, that is an insect's eye. That's a, I think it's a common guard kind of ant that you'll see in the garden, under an electron microscope, that's what its eye looks like. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that amazing. Because, you know, we all have eyebrows, right? It looks to me like I didn't know that ants, looks like ants have eyebrows, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and look at the hairs, it's got hairs all I mean, like, we have hairs to keep us caught, and so does an ant, at that scale. We can't make things that amazing, that small. Okay, but God can. Now, what's amazing as well, is that all the carbon, all the oxygen in that ant, came about because stars exploded and ejected all the major nuclear fusion, all that carbon and oxygen and everything that was made for exploding stars. And that is what's found its way into ants and all carbon-based life. And what's also amazing is that those events have to be fine, incredibly finely tuned and stars and everything to, to work. And they shouldn't work, but basically, as even it's been said, it looks as though, to an, even to an atheistic scientist, that people, someone's monkeyed with the laws of chemistry and physics to make it possible. Okay? So that, that to me, bears witness to the greatness and and the glory of God. So what does that tell us about God, and what does it tell us about Jesus? That he's powerful, way beyond our understanding, that he's absolutely worthy of praise and worship. That's why it's so encouraging to be part of the worship today, that we worship a great, incredible God. It's not enough to stand like, this little light of mine. <laughs> I mean, just like, what is that? To worship the, you know, the eternal creator of the entire universe and everything that we can't see. No! Um, and... Uh, and so worthy of praise. And so it's, we've got to t listen to his word and take it seriously because he really does know what he's talking about. Um, and that Jesus came to reconcile himself to all things. And in verse 18, I'm losing track of my own slides now. Oh, there we go. So he is before all things. It says, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. But God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That we are the body of Christ and therefore it means that we on earth are to do the work of Christ. And we're to listen to what the head, what Christ says. And that's again why it's important to read his word and, and to pray to be listened to God and pray to him. I want to share practically how you can help, okay? In one area, obviously I work with the homeless, so, but this applies to, to many different areas. We all come across people in need in different ways, friends, family, obviously people on the street, professionally. One model that's really helped me is, is this, okay? Uh, I got this from another event I went to. Think about it this way, that people in need 
That's often three things. It's poverty, say, of resources, maybe, and so in homelessness, they, people have run out of money to pay for accommodation, or they can't find accommodation that they can afford. Okay. Now, if they're heading towards street homelessness, then that's a poverty of relationships, because it can often be just a matter of time before you run out of friends and family who are prepared to put you up and help you. And then if that, both those things happen, then it can lead to poverty of identity. You're ignored on the streets, and even worse, abused and attacked. And so it's no wonder that some people turn to drink and drugs to numb the pain. And then it's much harder to help them. So two-step houses a lot of people while they have a poverty of resources and a poverty of relationships, but still their identity is intact. They think, I'm going to get through this. It's okay if you help me. And we do. We empower people, like Barry talked about. We train people so that they can... And we are... We pour in our resources. We pour in our relationships so we can help them to get through it. So as a follower of Christ, you have a lot to give. You have an identity because you are made in the image of God. You've got relationships in the church and through your friends. You've got resources in terms of all that God has given you. So therefore, you have a part to play. And with homelessness, it doesn't necessarily cost you any money. Of course, you're very welcome to give to Two Step, and we're thankful for your donations. But you could, don't even have to do that. You can help reduce the poverty of identity and relationship by talking to people. Every time you genuinely listen, every time you sacrifice a bit of time, that helps them to understand that they are a person of value, and it helps them to, to, to get out of that kind of poverty of identity. For our children as well, what do we teach them about having a positive impact in the world? The world tends to focus on having self-esteem, whereas Jesus teaches us to love others as we love ourselves. When my daughter Natalia started school, I, we really wanted her to have friends, obviously, but we also wanted her to be a friend. And so we said to her, look, Natalia, when you start school, some other children might be sad, okay, because they don't know anyone, they don't have any friends. What you can do is go and say to them, hello, my name's Natalia, would you like to be my friend? Okay? On the first day, that is exactly what happened. There was a girl who was crying because she didn't know anyone in the class and she was missing her mummy. And Natalia went to her and said, Hello, my name's Natalia. Would you like to be my friend? And the little girl just went like this and just gave her a big hug. Oh. <laughs> and they've been best friends ever since. And, um, and it's, it's, it's amazing. Because Jesus teaches us, um, when we have healthy relationships as well, and it gives hope to the world. We were out with our group on Wednesday meeting people. We met a guy who's just kind of like, he's not quite sure where he's going in life, and he's not really... But we had a good talk. We invited him along. He came to church on Friday, and he just, he just said, this is great. All these, this is really good, this kind of... The, all different kinds of people here, and everyone's getting along, and people are friendly, and this is... It, it gives people hope. This, this is how life should be. Okay. And to finish, I want to show a video which kind of some of this. That, uh, it's a story of Curtis. He was met by a Christian in West London and baptised after two-step helped him find somewhere close, um, somewhere to live close to, close to his church um, in the West. So, ah, where's it gone, Mark? Should keep going. Ah, keep going. past the bonus. Sorry. There we go. That was a picture of the spider's web. We haven't got the spider thing, we haven't got time. So, this should now play, we hope. We live in hope. <laughs> and sounds excellent. Music is definitely something I'm very passionate about. And I think I do it I like writing music as well, and I like dancing. Um, I became homeless uh, at the beginning of the summer. I was in a transition of um, going to be transferred to another branch of my job, the way that things turned around where 
I, I became depressed and uh, they, it was overwhelmingly so I went to the hospital. And during the course of that time, I was in hospital, I was told that I would lose my place, so I became evicted and I had no one, I had nothing, no, no, no connections, no family, nothing, no one to help me. So if, uh, the hospital that I was in said that they could help me. Basically, they advised me to go to the borough council just to see if I can get put in housing this. And I was told that I didn't fit the criteria. And it was like some bad nightmare was happening. I, at times I didn't want to live, but I had to kind of persevere and, and try to get through each night. Every sound that something makes, or you know what I mean, you, you, you're so alert, you can't even hardly sleep. The, the turning point was knowing that there are still good people in the world, that there is people willing to help you. Yeah, the community, being part of church has really, really helped me understand that I'm not alone. And I've been able to heal a lot more from my emotional hurts uh, by sharing what I've gone through with others who understand and have really given themselves up, sacrificed their, their time you know, to support me, which I find was really, really comforting. And that's what I was trying to be thankful for. And that's what gave me the hope to keep persevering. The canvas and the That's when I was introduced to Hope Worldwide, which helped me get on the process of getting me rehabilitated and getting me housed. Where I met the guy who introduced me to Hope Worldwide was in uh, a cafe called Esquire's Cafe in Shepherd's Bush, and that was the place that I now do open mic. I mean, you know, the man came in and you know he helped me get rehabilitated and, and so yeah I, I now perform there constantly every week. My dreams is to uh, inspire other people but I would, yeah I would like to pursue the musical career because I believe in, in trying to aspire to, to do something. I now can understand how it feels when I see a homeless person you know um, and try to share that knowledge share knowledge with other people to try to see if I can help them in an, in any other way, you know what I mean? Then walking by somebody. Because you can have you can have everything one, you know, you could be at a certain point in your life and then it can be all taken away from you. And I think you or I or anybody could ha it can happen to anybody. Very quickly, um, we're going to be taking communion after this, and Malcolm's going to share a few words. I, I did want to just quickly mention about this small insight I had um, about Jesus making peace through His blood shed on the cross. I had a very small, tiny insight into what Jesus went through the day I was diagnosed with leukemia, and the doctor had to take a bone marrow sample. A and E was busy; there wasn't much time for anaesthetic to take effect, and they pushed a really big needle into my bone and um, it hurt quite a lot. It wasn't a great way to spend a Saturday night. And, um, <laughs> as it was happening, I, I thought about the pain, seriously, and I thought it was an, an opportunity to identify in some small tiny way with what Jesus went through as, as he was nailed to the cross. Was, and it's beyond comprehension. Um, and so the, the idea of the image of God bearing the consequences of our sin in his body so that we can be forgiven for our past, have hope hope for the future that one day we will be with God and see him face to face.
We are made in the image of God and bring hope as the body of Christ, bearing witness to the ultimate hope of a new heaven and a new earth. My question for us all is, how does God want us individually, personally, and collectively as a church to bring hope to those around us?